Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Sam Splaining Science. I'm Sam, I'm your host, I'll be Sam Splaining the Science. Today we're talking about COVID vaccines and how they work. Because they do work, even if they don't seem perfect. Let's get into it. Hi everyone, how are you doing? I hope you're all doing well. If you listened to the last episode, you may already know this, but I had COVID. Luckily, I'm feeling so much better, and as of today, the day of recording, I am free from my quarantine. Whoop, whoop. So happy, so excited that I can now go and see people. Um, but some of you might be wondering, Sam, aren't you vaccinated and boosted? To which I'll say... Yes, indeedy. Triple Moderna, what's good? And then maybe you have a follow-up. And that follow-up might fall somewhere on a spectrum between genuine curiosity, like, well, then how did you get COVID? Or you might be on the other side of the spectrum, which is a bit more pugnacious of, well, then I guess your vaccine didn't work then. Or... I guess the vaccines are a scam, or what's the point of vaccines if you're just going to get COVID anyway? Um, Also, you heard that right. I said pugnacious, meaning eager to argue or fight. That's an SAT word. No big deal. Oh, me? Oh, I'm just tossing around SAT words casually now, just sprinkling them into everyday conversation. No big deal. Who is she? No, but maybe you're somewhere on this scale of like curiosity to pugnacity, maybe somewhere in between, maybe somewhere completely different. But if you are somewhere along those lines, that's totally cool. Hi, welcome. I hope you'll stick around and listen to this episode because hopefully I'll explain, sorry, hopefully I'll Sam-splain how vaccines work. Maybe you're nowhere on this scale, which is also totally cool, totally fine, and I hope you'll stick around anyway just to hear my lovely voice, which no longer sounds or feels like I have thousands of knives in my throat. Woohoo! <laughs> so let's jump into today's questions. There are three questions today. The first question is, what is COVID again? It's a little COVID refresher. I gave a brief overview of COVID in two previous episodes. One was episode eight, where I talked about COVID infection and a study looking at COVID in the brain. And then another in episode 11, where I talked about masking and how masks prevent the transmission of COVID. Um, So if you've listened to those episodes, the answers to the first question today might sound a little familiar because I stole my bullet points from the other notes. But if you haven't listened to those yet, don't worry. I'll tell you all the important stuff that you need to know when we answer this first question. Um, The second question is, how do the COVID vaccines work, specifically mRNA vaccines? And then the third question is, so wait, how did you get COVID if you're double vaxxed and boosted? As always, resources are listed in the episode description. So let's jump into question one, which is our COVID refresher. Um, COVID 
is the infectious disease caused by SARS-CoV-2 or the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2 virus. And something you need to know about viruses is that they don't have the tools to replicate themselves very well. So usually the main goals of a virus is to find something that has all of the machinery so that it can replicate itself. And that's called a host, a host cell. Um, and then once it finds that host, it infects it. It goes inside of that host cell and it takes over. It runs the show. It uses all of that host's tools to make more of itself and replicate. So those are the only two goals of a virus's life is to find a host to infect and then use that host to make more of itself. But getting back to SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID, you might have seen a picture of this like virus particle online or in the news and articles, whatever. Um, and it looks sort of like a bubble with these red spiky things sticking out of it. And those spiky things are the spike protein. The spike protein is like a transformer. It's more than meets the eye. Yes, this is a recycled joke. Who's asking? Um, but what you see on the bubble of the virus particle is the spike protein in its closed formation. It can also transform itself to another configuration, which is the open configuration. And when the spike protein is open, there's a piece of the protein that was hidden inside that now becomes visible. And that piece is called the receptor binding domain. So when the receptor binding domain is free and out in the open and available, it can bind very well to another protein that exists in our cells called the angiotensin converting enzyme 2 or ACE2 receptor. The ACE2 receptor is very important in like proper lung function and heart function and lots of things. But for now, all we really need to know is that ACE2 in the context of COVID acts like a lock to our cells and the receptor binding domain on the COVID spike protein is the key. So the receptor binding domain unlocks the ACE2 lock and the virus lets itself right into our little cells. Um, and then once it gets inside, because it's a virus, now it found its host cell, the next thing on its to-do list is to make itself at home. And by that I mean it, it completely takes over. The virus has found a host cell, so now it does the only other job that it has, which is to replicate over and over and over again. It makes more and more of these new viruses that infect the cells in our bodies, in our lungs, etc. And then these virus particles that are being generated, they can travel also by respiratory droplet. So when our lungs cells are infected and they start making virus, the new viruses that are made can spread through the air that we breathe, um, like when we're breathing out or talking, laughing, whatever. And those viruses that come out of us when we're infected are going to do what they need to stay alive, which is find another host, find another cell with an ACE2 receptor on it, um, which might be located in somebody else's respiratory tract if I'm infected and having a conversation with somebody else. Um, and then it'll break into that person's cells 
and use their cell's machinery to replicate itself and infect that person. And then the cycle goes on and on and on. So that's my little COVID spiel about the virus, about transmission, about how it infects us. Hopefully that gives some good background and like context understanding. So let's move on to question two, which is about how the mRNA vaccines for COVID work. So before I really jump into this, I want to do a little bit of a biology background. Um, So our genes are G-E-N-E-S, not blue genes. Our genes, our genetic information is what makes us, us, right? It makes all living things the respective living things that they are. It makes a banana a banana. It makes a dog a dog. It makes whatever. Um, So the genetic information exists in every single cell in our body. Every single cell that we have in our body holds all of the genetic information that make us, us. Specifically, the genetic information lives in the nucleus of our cells, which is this little bubble in the middle of our cells that holds all of our DNA, it holds all of our chromosomes, all of our genes. Humans, and like most mammals and stuff, we have DNA. Um, But viruses, they carry their genetic information in something called RNA. There are a few differences, um, like structurally and stuff like that, but both DNA and RNA have one main purpose, and it is to make proteins. So I'm going to use an analogy of baking a cake to making a protein and kind of walk through how we get from like a gene, our DNA, to a protein. Okay, so if we are baking a cake, we might find a recipe either online or in a cookbook or in a recipe book. And we can think of our genetic information our whole genome, all of our DNA, all of our chromosomes together as a recipe book. Because in the cookbook, each page has a different recipe that will make a different dish. It'll make a different cake. It'll make a different whatever, different recipe, right? Each recipe in that book is analogous to each gene in our DNA. So our full genetic information has many, many, many different genes. And just like each recipe has information on how to bake a cake, each gene is going to have information on how to make a protein. In our cells, there's machinery that decides which genes and which recipes need to be copied to make a certain cake, right? Do we need to make collagen? Do we need to make actin? These are like different proteins that we use every day in our body. Just like we're deciding, do we want to make a carrot cake? Do we want to make a red velvet cake? There's things that in our cells and machinery that decide and tell our cells which proteins to make. But let's just say we don't want to get our cookbook dirty while we're cooking in the kitchen. We don't want to spill anything on it, right? 
So we might write down the recipe, the single page that we want from the cookbook onto a note card or a recipe card. That copy is analogous to mRNA or messenger RNA. So the mRNA is essentially a copy of the piece of DNA that tells us how to make the protein that we need. Just like if we made a recipe card, it's a copy of the recipe from the cookbook for the cake that we want to make. Hopefully I'm not too deep into the, the analogy. Hopefully it's still sort of making sense. It makes sense in my head. I hope I'm explaining it well enough. Um, so now we copy from the cookbook, copy from the DNA, we get the recipe card or we get the mRNA, right? The mRNA then goes to the kitchen. It floats out of the nucleus. So the nucleus, remember, is where all of the DNA is stored. It's like protected in the nucleus. But the mRNA needs to go to the kitchen to do the cooking. So it leaves the nucleus um, and it collects all of the ingredients, little pieces of protein that are called amino acids. You can like string them together to make a protein. So it collects all of the ingredients and all of the appliances that are necessary to make protein like another type of RNA called transfer RNA or tRNA um, or like ribosomes, which are machinery that help construct the protein itself. Um, so that's like a stand mixer and an oven, two things that are necessary to make the cake but aren't necessarily ingredients. Um, they're just like additional tools that help us get from our recipe to our cake. Those are the tools that help us get from our mRNA to our protein. And these are tools that are pretty much always floating around in our cells. The oven is always gonna be in the kitchen, you know? So as soon as the recipe comes to the kitchen, the oven is ready to do its job, which is bake the cake, of course. So make the protein. Once there's mRNA in the cell, um, protein can be made in the cell. So to summarize, mRNA is like a little recipe card that converts our DNA from the cookbook into protein or a cake. Okay, so now that we're a little more familiar with how mRNA works and like what the role of mRNA is, what its purpose is in life, um, let's talk about mRNA in the context of COVID vaccines. So these vaccines, there's two common ones that were um, administered in the U.S., made by Pfizer and made by Moderna. Um, and these two brands, I don't know if that's the right word. Mm. These two mRNA vaccines sort of use the same idea in that they design these vaccines to look at only a little bit of the SARS-CoV-2 virus genetic information, right? So if we think about SARS-CoV-2, COVID virus, um, it has genetic information that makes it the virus. Just like that's a recipe book for COVID-19. That's the recipe book for SARS-CoV-2, right? If we turn to the page in that recipe book that tells us how to make the spike protein, we can isolate that and look just at that page and then make a recipe card 
mRNA that tells us how to make that spike protein. But in doing that, we're just looking at the spike protein. So none of the other things in the SARS-CoV-2 virus would be involved in that recipe, right? So there are parts of the virus that tell the virus like, oh, infect this host cell, replicate, blah, blah, blah. There's just this little piece, this single page in the SARS-CoV-2 cookbook that instructs how to make spike protein. And that is the page that we're looking at, just that piece. So we use that single page to write down the recipe for how to make the spike protein cake, right? We use the, that piece of genetic information from the SARS-CoV-2 virus to find the mRNA or make the mRNA that will make the spike protein, to make the spike protein mRNA. Okay, so we have the spike protein mRNA. We, not we, the scientists have it, the scientists who do this. I make it sound like it's, oh, it's just, it's so easy. Just write down the recipe. It took a long time, right? And it took a lot of work. So thanks for that, those of you who did that. Um, but yeah, so the spike protein mRNA, they put them in these cutie little bubbles that are called nanoparticles. Nano means on the scale of one billionth. Sorry, my Dr. Evil voice. One billionth of a meter, okay? So like they're nanometer in scale. So one billionth of a meter is the size of one of these bubbles. And you put a bunch of mRNA into those bubbles. You put a bunch of those bubbles into some solution to make sure that the bubbles and the mRNA don't break down over time. And that's your vaccine. And you go and you get your shot and they pump it right into your arms. Pump it, pump it, pump it. Um, <laughs> so then the mRNA from the vaccine, our shot, gets into our cells. And what happens when there's a recipe card in the kitchen? Our cells are going to use our ingredients and our appliances that are readily available, the amino acids, the tRNA, the ribosomes, plus this mRNA that just got into the kitchen, and they're going to make a protein based on what the recipe card says. And that recipe card says, make me a spike protein cake. So that's exactly what they're going to do. And our body makes the spike protein no problem because at this point, there are a lot of like checkpoints along the way in terms of like making proteins um, because you want to make sure that you're regulating your protein synthesis is what it's called, but just, you don't want to make too much protein. You want to make sure you're making the right protein. There's a lot of like checkpoints, but there is no checkpoint to say, does this mRNA come from my genetic information? That doesn't exist. And that's sort of like a cool little loophole that the scientists found that were like, Hey, we could probably make this work because there's no, like we can take mRNA from another source and put it into this source and it'll make that protein. That's super cool. It is cool because this is the basis for the mRNA vaccines. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh yeah, our body makes the spike protein no problem because it has all of the machinery and it has this recipe card that just got delivered to the deltoid muscle. So our, our body makes the spike protein no problem. 
But then the spike protein, it doesn't really do anything. It just sort of like floats around. It sits there. It doesn't have like the rest of the virus. Like when you look at a SARS-CoV-2 virus, the spike protein is the part that gets it into the body. But then the rest of the virus on the inside of the bubble that we never see in the pictures, that's the part of the virus that's like, we're going to hijack this cell. We're going to replicate. We're going to do blah, blah, like, you know, their whole master plan lives in the bubble of the virus, not on the outside. The outside spikes are just to get their foot in the door, you know? So this key of the spike protein, is it a cake? Is it a key? I don't know. Whatever. The spike protein, when it's made from the mRNA vaccine, is just going to be sitting, just going to be hanging out, right? And it's going to float around aimlessly because it doesn't have the rest of the SARS-CoV-2 virus to tell it what to do. But eventually, our body recognizes that it is loitering and that it does not belong. And that, the detection of the spike protein loitering in the deltoid muscle, gives our immune system a cute little kick in the butt. And it says, hey, wake up. There's an intruder. This does not belong here. This protein, the spike protein that I've never seen before, get it out of here. It's an intruder. Intruder alert. So first it was a key, and then it was a cake, and now it's an intruder. The way that I turned on this spike protein, sometimes it's like that, I guess. Anyway, okay. But now the immune system is awake, and it's like, hello, we need to act because... This thing is not from here. It does not belong here. It is a potential threat, so we got to get rid of it. So let's dive into the immune system and what it does. So there's a bunch of different components or like cells that make up our immune system. I'm just going to run through a couple of them. Um, one of the first ones that I'll mention is the APC, the antigen presenting cell. The, an antigen is something that is in our body that does not belong in our body. So in this case, it's the spike protein after we get vaccinated, or it's a COVID virus if we're infected, or it could be a bacteria or some sort of toxin, whatever. These cells, the APC, the antigen presenting cells, find what doesn't belong and then present the antigen to the rest of the immune system. It's like the tattletale. So it picks up what doesn't belong and it holds it up and it says, see this guy? He doesn't belong here. It's basically a wanted poster. Like if you see this spike protein, kill it. That's what the antigen, pre antigen presenting cell does. Um, it notices when something fishy is going on, it calls security and it puts up a wanted poster. Okay, next. When I hear immune system, I mean, I'm not an immunologist. Like, I'm not really educated on this topic. I mean, I've done, like, a little bit of research, but I'm, I'm nowhere near an expert. So when I hear immune system, my brain always goes to antibodies. Um, and antibodies are these things that fit the exact mold of the antigen's shape, like a lock and key. Now I'm repeating analogies within an episode. That's kind of annoying, sorry. I hope this isn't too much of a hot mess. <laughs> but anyway, okay. So the antibody is 
designed or it designs itself to specifically attach to an antigen, right? And the antibody, when it comes across an antigen that it's familiar with, that it matches with, it will attach itself to that antigen and then it'll call attention to it. Basically, it'll be another signal to say like, hey, this thing needs to be slaughtered. This thing needs to be murdered immediately, right? That's the whole idea of an antibody. It's to basically tagging an antigen so that it can die. Um, B cells, B as in Bartholomew, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> B cells are the ones that produce antibodies. So when the body has an antigen that it's never seen before, the B cells um, respond to this immune response by making antibodies that specifically match the given antigen that it sees. So when we get our spike protein, when we we make our spike protein after our COVID vaccine, B cells will look at the spike protein and say, make antibodies that match that spike protein. Exactly, right? And then it'll recognize that spike protein at all different angles and all different sides because proteins are very complicated and they're three-dimensional and all these things. They have specific shapes and whatever. So these antibodies will recognize the spike protein from all different angles, all different sides. And then the antibodies stick around in our system for a little while, and they provide a longer lasting protection than some other types of immune cells. So they'll just, once they're made by the B cells, they'll just float around and wait to see the antigen again. And then when it sees that specific antigen again, it's on site, it's going down. It'll say, hey, I remember you. I thought I told you to never come around these parts again, you know, and then it'll just go, it's over. We stand, we say, thank you, antibodies. Okay, so B cells are the cells that make the antibodies that help us fight off specific antigens. Next, let's talk about T cells. T cells are able to identify antigens, so sort of similar to like how antibodies can identify the antigens, but T cells are able to identify the antigens and react to them. So one type of T cell is called the CD4 T cell. It's also known as the helper T cell. So helper T cells help to regulate other cells that um, participate in the immune response. So they'll activate some other cells that we'll talk about, including CD8 T cells, They'll activate B cells to make antibodies. Um, They'll activate macrophages, all these types of things. They're a big help, which is why they're the helper T cell, in the immune system. In the immune response, I mean. Well, both. (laughs) The next type of T cell that I'll talk about is a CD8 T cell. And these are called cytotoxic T cells. So you can think of CD4 T cells as like, oh, they're a helper. They're so like nice. Thank you so much for helping. And then CD8 T cells are like, I'm going to kill you. Cytotoxic means toxic to cells. So a cytotoxic T cell, what happens with these cells is they find a cell that is infected with, say, a virus, or they find a cell that has an antigen in it. And then what they do 
is they hit the self-destruct button. The cell destruct button. <laughs> Get it? Cell? Self? Okay, bye. Um, anyways, they find cells that have an antigen in it, and then they stab the cell to death. They, they say, mm, you're done. And they kill the cell. So this way, this cell, if it's infected with a virus, for example, the virus can no longer replicate in that cell because it's dead now. It's a little dramatic, but we're, we're here for it. We kind of love it, okay? Um, there's another cell in the immune system also uh, called a natural killer cell or an NK cell. Um, and they also, their job is to also just like kill things. It's like very violent. Um, but NK cells also, they're just stabbing, murdering, killing, anything that doesn't belong or anything that looks like it's associated with something that doesn't belong. It's a little harsh, but you got to do what you got to do, you know? Um, <laughs> the last cell in the immune system that I'm going to talk about is macrophage. Macrophages are phagocytic cells. So what they do, well, let me explain what phagocytosis is. That is when a cell will eat or like engulf an antigen and digest it and just like break it apart, destroy it. So it's not necessarily like I'm going to kill this, you know, cell that has an antigen in it. It's instead it like finds antigens and then absorbs that antigen and then kills it from the inside. Um, so that was a macrophage. Um, they basically find antigens that have been identified by those, those antigen presenting cells that I talked about that have been marked as been a problem and then they eat them. So, so those are macrophages. So those are all of the um, immune cells that I wanted to talk about today. But yeah, so basically our cells in our body will recognize that the spike protein doesn't belong and it'll start stimulating the immune system and all of the cells that I just talked about in the immune system to destroy the spike protein. With that, it will create some lasting memory of what the spike protein looks like, like through antibodies. Um, and it'll remember so that if it ever sees a spike protein again, it knows to start up the immune response again, get the gang back together and start killing these spike proteins and anything that's attached to them, like a SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, one other thing that I wanted to mention is about boosters. Um, boosters are basically just like a reminder to your immune system, like, don't get too comfortable. Just a warning. You should still be primed to fight this virus if you ever see it. Um, so that's why, like, we'll talk about it a little bit, but, like, people who have their booster have a little bit of a better immune response because their immune system is a little more um, familiar. It's a little more refreshed than someone with older immunity. Um, okay, but hopefully that sort of gives you a picture of, like, mRNA, the purpose of mRNA, just, like, in nature, and then also like how the mRNA vaccine works to stimulate our immune system to create immunity against the spike protein. Okay, so end of question two. Now on to question three, which is 
But if you're vaxxed and boosted, why did you get COVID? Oh my God, Karen, you can't just go around asking people why they have COVID. Um, mean Girls reference. Have I made one of those yet? Probably not. Probably so. Anyway, um, the answer to this question of why I got COVID, even though I was vaxxed and boosted, uh, is variance. It's a single word answer and it's variance. But don't worry, I'll elaborate a little bit. Um, <laughs> each time a virus replicates, there is a risk that there will be an error in the replication which we call a mutation. Basically, there's a change in the ingredients in the recipe of how to make this entire virus particle, right? So sometimes these mutations are not advantageous. They're not gonna help the virus spread faster or live longer or any of these things. So it's like if your recipe calls for a third of a cup of chocolate chips but you only add a quarter of a cup of chocolate chips. So now your recipe is gonna suck because you don't have enough chocolate chips. No one's gonna want this recipe. So if there's a change in the recipe that's not beneficial, it's gonna die out. So with these mistakes, with these mutations that aren't advantageous, they die out. They don't really become a problem. But sometimes these mutations are very advantageous. Right, so they'll increase the transmissibility. They'll increase the pathogenicity or like how sick people get with this virus. They'll make the virus live longer or live in more hosts, right? And that's kind of like what we saw with the Delta strain and what we're seeing now with the Omicron strain is it's more transmissible potentially. Um, but these types of like advantageous mutations Sort of like if your recipe calls for one third cup of chocolate chips, um, but you pour in the whole dang bag, right? Now your recipe is going to be absolutely fire because who doesn't love chocolate chips? Um, and everyone's going to love it. They're going to be like, this rocks. I want more of this. I want to make this as much as I, as much as I can. Um, but in this case, everyone is like, the virus itself. So the virus is like, this rocks. I love this. I love this change. It's making me stronger. It's making me um, more contagious. It's making me more likely to survive. And it's going to rock with that. It's going to be like, let's go. And it's going to become a variant of concern because it's now variant. What's the verb of variant? <laughs> it's now slightly different it varies from its original recipe but it's better it's an improvement so it's going to keep rocking with it right and um that means that it's going to spread better and it's going to infect more people and do more things um so yeah that's the idea of like mutations right if you received an mRNA vaccine, um, or two or three, um, then the mRNA that our bodies were given to fight, or the mRNA that makes the protein that our bodies were, the spike protein that our bodies were instructed to fight, was based on the initial strain of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. But since the original strain, there have been mutations or changes 
to this virus that make it better, quote unquote, in terms of the virus. The virus is better at surviving. The virus is better at spreading. There's more chocolate chips in it and it loves every, it loves every bite. Some of these changes happened right on the spike protein. The very protein that our bodies were trained to fight against. So because the spike protein in, for example, the Omicron strain might look a little different than it did in the original strain, it might take our body a little longer to catch on and identify it and say, hey, wait, you look like that guy who's not supposed to be around here anymore. It'll take longer to fire up that immune response, get those antibodies to bind to it, call over those cytotoxic T cells and macrophages and all the things that are going to destroy it, right? And if this takes too long, it means that the virus has time to hijack our cells and start replicating. And that leads to an infection. So yes, breakthrough infections or COVID infections in people who have been vaccinated against COVID do happen. It is not impossible. It's actually very much possible, especially considering how much SARS-CoV-2 has mutated from the initial strain that we trained our bodies to fight against. But I guess it depends on how you define the efficacy of the vaccine or how well the vaccine works. Because it depends on what you think vaccines are meant to do. Is a vaccine meant to stop all infections or is it meant to protect us all enough so that we don't get too sick and need to go to the hospital? Because if too many of us get too sick, we overwhelm our healthcare system, right? Besides that, even arguably more important, is that some people who get too sick die from the virus. So if we think about the vaccine as a way of helping our bodies deal with the virus, if we are infected, it'll prevent us from getting too sick. It'll prevent us from getting hospitalized. It'll prevent us from dying, right? During this current Omicron wave, being double vaxxed and boosted lowers your risk of hospitalization with COVID complications by 86%. This is per the CDC numbers that are linked in the description. Um, and being double vaxxed and boosted during the current Omicron wave has lowered risk of death by 94%. It's like almost 100%. <laughs> Even if you know, the lower risk of hospitalization and the lower risk of death is not enough, there's more. RIP, Billy Mays, but wait, there's more. Um, a recent study that's also linked below shows that for Omicron, the viral load or the amount of virus in an infected person is lower in people who are boosted compared to people who received just the initial two-dose vaccine. So get your boosters. Um, and it's also lower compared to people who have not been vaccinated against COVID-19 at all. So there's less virus in infected individuals who've had their vaccine plus booster, suggesting that maybe there's a chance you'll clear the infection faster, potentially, um, or you might be potentially less likely to spread it to other people 
If you have less virus in your system, there's less of it to spread. There's less of it to infect other people, theoretically. That's the idea. Um, but there's no like data proving that yet. It's just a hypothesis. Um, but yeah, so there's two more benefits for you. We're probably not going to need a hospital if we're vaxxed and boosted. We're probably not going to die if we're vaxxed and boosted. We might recover faster if we're vaxxed and boosted, and we might be less likely to pass the virus along to others if we're vaxxed and boosted. That sounds pretty nice to me. I don't know. Um, so hopefully this section provides some context as to um, why breakthrough infections happen. It's because the virus has changed so much, it's mutated so much that sometimes it takes our immune system a little while to recognize the spike protein, um, which delays its attack of the virus, which means that the virus has more time to infect and replicate. Um, so that's why. But it's not to say that the vaccines are completely completely useless because people who are vaccinated and boosted are far less likely to be hospitalized and to die from COVID-19. So still very valuable vaccines, even though they're not perfect. It's not the vaccine's fault. It's the virus's fault. I'm team vaccine here. I'm going to defend this vaccine because it's doing its best with what it's given, you know? And aren't we all when you think about it? <laughs> okay. Before I log off, I wanted to give a big shout out to some SciComm accounts that I follow on Instagram. They've helped educate me on like all things vaccine and really all things COVID. Um, I'm going to write them out in the description, but especially big shout outs to um, at Nini in the brain, at unbiased SciPod, at epidemiologist cat and at Jessica Milati Rivera. So if you're not following them yet, I highly recommend you do. Um, they've kept me up to date on all things COVID over the last couple years. Um, they're also like very on top of the reporting about uh, the under five vaccine that hopefully, fingers crossed, if all things go as planned, can be administered as early as June 21st if it's improved. Um, so if you have any young kiddos in your life and you want to stay in the loop about vaccines for them, um, they often like report on the data that's reported and um, just sort of break down the crazy scariness of COVID into realness that we can all understand. So definitely give them a follow if you're interested. One last thing I want to put out there, because I know that there are some people who say that the vaccines are useless because they don't prevent breakthrough infection. So what's the point? If you can still get COVID, if you can still get, if you can still spread COVID, what's the point? Um, there's no point, like there's 0% effective. There's no point in getting them, blah, blah, blah. If anyone ever tells you that something 100% does not work or 100% does work, they're either lying to you or they have no idea what they're talking about because nothing in science is ever certain, ever. Real science always leaves room for variability. It always leaves room for error. So if people are telling you things in absolute 
this absolutely does not work, this absolutely does work, my advice is to proceed with caution. And that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) All right, that's all for this week. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at SamSplainingSci. Connect with me there and ask questions if you'd like. You can also submit your questions to samsplainingscience.com slash ask. So if you have anything that you want Sam Splain to you, ask away. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you learned a little bit and laughed a little bit, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.